podcast fam? Hope you are doing well. I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the content that I put out. It means the absolute world to me. I genuinely hope that you enjoy this podcast. If you do or have any questions or just want to provide feedback or want to say what's up, best way to get in touch with me is through texting me. You could text me at 631-250-6950 if you're in the US or if you're on WhatsApp, you could text me at one 833 So if you want to reach out, that'd be fantastic. If you want to subscribe, there's going to be a new podcast every single day. So definitely come back, get your contact, content fix, and uh, stay tuned. And if you want to see the clips of each of these, these, these podcasts, you can check me out on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook and you see the clips or the full video versions on YouTube. Thank you so much and enjoy the podcast. at Sterling Sound, Edgewater, New Jersey. So you emphasize Edgewater. Are there several Sterling Sounds around the world? So Sterling Sound has been one facility for um, the last three decades. Um, and now we actually f- almost four decades. And now we are Edgewater, New Jersey and Nashville, Tennessee. Ah, very cool. Okay. Yeah, we, we have four rooms here in New Jersey. Myself, Randy Merrill, Greg Calby, and Joe Laporta, and in Nashville, we have Ryan Smith and Ted Jensen. Very cool. You know what? I got to look back at my my emails from a, like 10 years ago when I first started doing music. I, did, did, I, there was some sort of – the, the studio name sounds so familiar, and I just – maybe that's why I was maybe talking to somebody back then. in the But they were based in Nashville, yeah. so that's why maybe that rings a bell. Oh, no. We've only been in Nashville for oh, Okay, then it must now. have been a similar name then. Yeah. There's, there's a couple big studios yeah, in Nashville. Yeah. Very cool. So starting off the conversation, I'd love to know your story. I mean, how long have you been in this? For, actually, no, let's back it up even further. Well, let's talk about what mastering is for the people that aren't familiar with it. You know, how, how would you explain it? And then let's okay. talk about how you got into the industry. So mastering is the last creative step in the music making process. It basically... It, mastering when it originally started out it was disc cutting so we would actually cut the the master disc for the album and that was the that, that was the origination of what mastering was and it was basically disc transfer and then it turned into um eqing the disc and you know adjusting the levels between songs to make the disc play a little easier and sound better and from there, after disc mastering kind of, fa- I mean, it's not really phased out. It's actually back again. <laughs> like people are buying vinyl, but it, tra- it turned into um, CD mastering and now basically streaming. Yeah, mastering. Interesting. And it, it's all designed to keep, you know, make an album run smoothly, like EQ wise, level wise, things like that. Um, you know, there was there was a period where when you were putting together an album, you would sequence it and make it seamless and, you know, one song flow into another. Um, not too many people are making full albums like that anymore, but um, that's basically what it was. And it's basically done with um, EQ, limiting, compression. Absolutely. Like that. That's a beautiful explanation of it. So how did you get into the industry? And can you explain how long you've been in the industry and your story? Sure. So um, when I was a teenager, I was like, just completely like into music like listen just i would come home from school and just listen to records and you know go to record stores and buy records and it had always been something i was passionate about and i was going to go to college i was going to go to college for film and i decided that uh you know i really wanted to be in music 
So I started doing live sound for some local bands just by chance. Like I lied to somebody about that. I knew how to do it. And they're like, Oh, come do our show tonight. And I kind of like, I had kind of been reading about it and, and learning about it. And back then there was no internet. So you had to read books or magazines about it. So I kind of lied my way into it. I did it and they hired me back. And then another band hired me and another band hired me. <clears throat> and then I just kept, you know, doing it. And then I decided to go to a one year audio engineering mm -hmm. school, the Institute of audio research now defunct, but it was in, uh, it was in the village in Manhattan. And uh, I went there for a year. I didn't even graduate. And then I started working in studios. And from working in a recording studio, I got into a mastering studio. And I've been mastering for, I think, 35 years. Wow, now. very interesting. So I'm... Yeah, I've been, I've been in music for almost 40, but <laughs> I mastering. Love that, man. That, it's yeah. amazing. So that's part of the reason I love having these conversations is because I like showing that it's actually possible to make a career inside the music industry because everybody tells you that it's impossible or that it's one in a million, or but it is possible to make a career in, you know, by your de definition, a very successful career in the music industry. Sure. I mean, a lot of people, like if you set your goal as this one tiny target in life, your chances of hitting that target are so small. But if you look at the music business as a whole, like I wanted to be a producer and an artist, and I wound up being a mastering engineer and now owning, you know, being a partner in a very successful studio. And, you know, if you wind it back 30 something years, that wasn't my goal. But because these opportunities came my way and I realized like, hey, I could do this and this is cool. I just kept trying new things and wound up in mastering. Yeah. Absolutely. So, that's, that's a great perspective, keeping the open perspective, like being open to change and, and being open to opportunities as they present themselves. And you might find something that you love in that opportunity. It's kind of like, I I'm not like a golfer, <laughs> but I kind of like look at it as like, if you're on the fairway, you know, the hole is that way. So drive that way. And as you get closer, then you narrow it down. But if you just say, I'm going to hit a hole in one from the tee, you're never going to do it. So like, you know, like you have to experience a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the business. You know, there's management, there's A&R, there's live sound, there's clubs, there's all, there's, there's so many things. And if you experience all of them, you may find that you're better at one than another. You know, I so. completely relate to that. I would have never thought that YouTube would have been the picture for me. And then here I am on YouTube. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So for being in the industry for as long as you have, uh, I'm super curious to see how you've you've obviously seen the music industry change, and you mentioned that like you, mastering has changed, mastering had how you've like the process of what you mastered for has changed. Can you talk on that? Can you talk on just the change of what you've seen in the music industry? I mean, you even mentioned the fact of like people aren't making albums as much anymore. I just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so you know, like I mean, records were the first format for music, and then cassettes became popular, and then digital came in, and you know there was you know, CDs started, but then out, you know, a lot of people don't know outside of CDs, there was, you know, digital audio tape and they started a digital cassette at mm -hmm. one point and formats kind of changed. There's something called mini disc and through all of it, you know, the goal of what mastering is never changed. It, it kind of stayed with it, but you approach each format a little differently. And like, that's what we're going through right now. Like streaming audio is approached differently than CD mastering because the level's a little different, the way it actually changes, the way it's converted is a little different. So you you have to adapt to that. And now there's Atmos, you know, which is something that is like, right now it's a little bit like the Wild <laughs> West because there's no blueprint of what Atmos is. 
So everybody's kind of going into it like either with pause like I am or full on, whereas a lot of people are now is, you know, mixing in Atmos. And so uh, I actually don't. Can you talk you know, on that for a sec? I actually I've seen it, obviously, so but I don't At- know anything about it yet. Atmos is immersive audio. It's um, it's not just surround sound like surround sound comes in like a lot of people with their TVs had have, have it set up at like three point one. Um, a really good surround sound system yeah. is 5.1, five speakers, and then a, a you know, a bass, a subwoofer. Um, Atmos, I think the, like, I think the proper Atmos setup is 19 by two by six. So there's speakers all the way around you, two subwoofers and um, speakers above you. So it gives you a multi-directional sound field, which is really interesting, but not everybody is doing it in that, in that format. Some people are doing it in basically like a 5.1 or 7.1 format, which you can do, but it doesn't give you the same playback. So, you know, here it's thrilling. We're kind of waiting to see where it really goes and how, and how actually if mastering is going to be involved, everything that's being done right now is basically back catalog stuff being converted to Atmos um and it's great like i've been to some studios i was out in la a couple weeks ago listening to some studios out there who are going heavy into it just to see like what it's about and kind of get their their take on it and uh it's really cool but i think it's really early in the game to really know you know what's going to happen and nobody's really done anything new nobody's started a project in atmos yet so I mean they're they're on the they're on the burners and they're slated to be done, but you know it's going to be really interesting to see the way they come out. You know it's going to be like a uh, it's changing the sound field. Basically, we all listen to is in stereo, yeah. and this is changing it to immersive. So the sound is around you and above you, and you know different angles and just different things. The the music's going to hit you. A different I've way. been so surprised that you know what what has happened what. 50 years ago that we went to from mono to stereo and then i i've been and we've had 5.1 and obviously surrounds down for a while i've been surprised to be honest that we haven't mixed more in like the spatial immersive audio and uh especially music because you go to you go to a theater and the planes that are flying above you like they come from behind they go so it's like we've been doing that in movie theaters for 25 years and it's actually been super that's what Atmos has been in theaters for the Dolby Atmos in theaters. Yes, you're right. Yes, and it's really I've been surprised that as creatives we haven't, as creative artists we haven't been like, oh, I want the guitar, the drums behind the guy. You know what I mean? Like it just would create such a vibe. Obviously, the tech would have. Maybe it's just that the tech hasn't caught up in little speakers like this compared to, you know, things. But it's it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. That that's just super interesting. That's kind of it. Is that the playback? Like in the theater, you hear that because the theater is set up in Dolby Atmos. It's full surround sound above, sideways, all that stuff. And home stereos and the way people are listening now, most people listen on headphones now. Like, you know, it's over 50% of the way people listen to music is on headphones. I think it's like in the 80s, you know, the 80 percentile. And they haven't had any technology yet to handle surround sound in a headphone because it's basically two Mm. speakers. So the Dolby Atmos system is kind of a phasing, if you will, setup where, you know, phase changes the position Mm -hmm. of the sound and it can be replicated somewhat in headphones now. Not the same as actually going to a theater or hearing a full system, but it's kind of like a, you know, it's a binary kind of 
fake out system, um, a binaural system. So it's really interesting the way it's going forward. Like I have the um, Apple AirPod Maxes, which replay Atmos in headphones. And I'll be honest, it sounds great, but it does not sound the same as being in a, in yeah. a theater and hearing that because this, you know, the bass isn't the same. And I mean, a lot of stuff, a lot of playback that you would hear in a theater, like is all about the, the, the range of frequency in what's going on and the way the level can be like blasted. And, you know, it's, it's just something that is really new. And I think it's going to change, um, you know, years ago when, um, there were different formats, SACD, which was super high res, where people could listen back to exactly the same, you know, frequency that we were recording at in studios here and like real high res and great detail. But again, it didn't really take off because the playback of most people mm -hmm. is not, you know, like if you see these speakers here, you know, these are like professionally tuned and expensive <laughs> giant speakers and the room is built for these yes. speakers. The playback here is definitely more dramatic than yes. you would hear at home. And that's kind of where Atmos is right now. It's like the, the yes. technology is there yeah. and the desire to do that is there, but it's it's being able, you know, being, you know, accessible to for homes yeah. for people at home or headphones or whatever. So the, it's got a yeah, little way to absolutely. go before it that but even surround sound, when surround sound first came out, people were doing some mixes in surround sound. But it just didn't take off because not everybody had like, uh, you know, like Sonos was not really a thing 10 mm -hmm. years ago when surround sound was out. Now, almost everybody I know has a Sonos system or a Bose system or, you know, something Sony system. So now that it's more available and more people have it, you'll start seeing more yeah, stuff. Absolutely. I feel you like know. that is one of the biggest issues as a creative you know we're always seeking this higher quality sound and meanwhile the people that are listening to the music are listening to their like you know iphone speakers right you know the little eighth of an inch thing yeah. like it's like so here you you have a professionally tuned you know uh speaker in your studio that cost exorbitant amount of money i bet and and then the average person is just going to listen to that you know through spotify which is already compressed you know and then through this little th and on and earbuds like it, most people don't even use headphones anymore they're using either earboard buds are right through the iphone speaker you know what i mean which is even, even funnier but i love it i love all the techie stuff man it's so fascinating to me um but going back to the studios like so so did you start Ster sterling sound did you get involved with sterling sound like no i got i got involved in sterling sound um 21 years ago i started working here and before that, Sterling Sound was the most successful mastering studio in the world. And to that, to this day, it yeah, probably still I'd is. So. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, as an engineer coming up in the industry, I worked at the Hit Factory. I worked at Frankfurt Wayne Mastering. I worked at some great studios. But Sterling Sound was always this, you know, pinnacle of a career. And when they asked me to come wow. here, I jumped on it. You know, I, you know, I, I jumped at the chance to be part of this sure. team. So yeah. how, do, how do you think, what, what defines Sterling Sound, you know, from, from all the others? Well, there that, that are some really great mastering company or uh, like companies. How would you define it? Groups, mastering groups, uh, studios? Studios, you know, like there, there are a lot of individual mastering engineers yeah. that are very successful. But Sterling Sound has always kind of been a group of engineers where we share information and technology and we just like we have someone here to cover every yeah. genre of music i mean basically we all do every genre of music but you know there are guys here like joe laporta maybe does more hip-hop than than 
other guys here. You know, myself and Randy Merrill might do more pop music. Ted Jensen might do more metal yeah. music. Greg Calby does a lot more, um, you know, indie yeah. music and things like that. So we all kind of have like a our own lane in in the industry. But you know, the fact that you can come here and work with individual engineers in different genres is pretty absolutely. Cool. And I mean, I mean, in the title of this video, and I'm posted on social media the extensive list of artists that you've worked with. I'm curious, you know, how how that comes about in the sense of like, I assume it's majority based on labels. Do, do, do the labels have contracts with Sterling or how does that work? Because like, it's not like, they, they hire I assume it's not like Harry Styles is like, I want Sterling Sounds, you know, it's like, I feel like it's just probably the label. This is here. It's going to go to Sterling Sounds, right? Or am I wrong? Well, it, it can, I've had artists contact me directly. Um, producers have a lot of have a lot to do with the scheduling of it. And really? The booking. Okay. Um, mix engineers like we work with certain mix engineers um, in the industry that know that we won't like you know mess <laughs> up their mix you know <laughs> or they they're they're comfortable working with us so we've we have a lot of relationships with different different people i've had management book me you know i've had you know just someone say oh go use that guy or you know like it, it ranges it really ranges but i mean a lot of labels like working with us because uh, you know the the capability of us to handle every um, mm -hmm. genre format that we delivered, the way we can deliver it, the guarantees that we deliver it. You know, so that's so, amazing, absolutely. And you mentioned messing up the, the the mixing engineers mix. I'd love to talk about that. So I'm curious. The the one of the biggest things that artists love and talk about is like creating this massive sound, right? This huge wall of sound that every artist wants to create. Do you feel that that is majority created inside of the mix from the mixing engineer, or is that something that the uh, mastering actually achieves, or is it a, a duality between the two? It's it starts from the beginning and it goes all the way to the end. Like I mean, from when an artist has an idea, he works with a producer and they record it and they get all the tracks together. Then they find a mixer who will bring that vision to you know fruition and like to light. And then it'll go to a mastering engineer who can complement that and adjust everything to really be balanced and, you know, kind of bring it out. I kind of consider what we do is like adding the goosebumps. Mm, like we take everything that. that everything that's kind of like done and we kind of polish it. And it's almost like Photoshop for, for audio. <laughs> I you love know? that. Like we just make it pop a little more and, and, you know, hit the right way. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at What's it. What's the typical turnaround yeah. on the track? So you, so I send you a track today and then how long does it typically take you to master it? Um, well, working on a track, I mean, generally we spend about an hour on a track. Half an hour, um, you know, is kind of, if you do an album, you kind of focus on like half an hour per track. I like to just play the track a bunch of times and really vibe to it and see, you know, see how it speaks to me. And then when you're doing a whole album, like each individual track might have a different color, a different sound field, a different vibe. So as you work on it, you may go back and forth, like tweaking and like adjusting. And it's just something that like, like you're either into this or you're not, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like nitpicking on, on sound and like adjusting things. Um, so it could, you know, most albums take like a day to really work on, like we'll work on it. Um, a lot of times I'll go back the next day and listen to it again and just be like, oh, maybe I need to do this or like it, it could be weeks later they add one more song and then I'll be like, oh, the third song I have to yeah. fix now. I'm actually doing that with an album right now is they just gave me some new tracks and I'm already going back to the stuff I've done already and retweaking that because as as it goes on, it's not it's not, you know, when I started, it had this vision 
and now I'm changing it to match the rest yeah, of the music. Yeah, and the beauty of your job is you got to hear music way before it comes out. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times, a lot of times when something comes out, like all of us here are kind of like, "Oh my god, I don't want to hear that track anymore," you know, because we've been working on it for so many times, or there's been like. You know, I, I've done a couple of records in my life where there's been like at least 25 recalls. Oh my mix. gosh. Yeah. So that means probably like two or three EQs for each song. So it's just something like, you know, you never want to hear. Oh, song. I hear you. Absolutely. Good. You just, you're just completely played out <laughs> on it. You know, I love that, man. That's so funny. So uh, I've seen photos of the studio that you work in on Sterling Sounds website and on, on your page on it and even on your Instagram. Uh, you you have some sweet gear, and I I'm, I a lot of it's I mean all of it's analog, right? No, I actually I have some analog gear, but over the years I've kind of gone from analog to just in a box. That was my follow up because question. of the okay. because of the volume of work that I do and the the way like so back when everything was really analog, you would work on something and you'd have to ship somebody the ref like mail it to them, hmm. so it would take you know, a day or two for somebody to get it. They'd play it. They'd have to listen to it a couple of times. They'd make notes. They'd get back to me and they'd reschedule like new mixes or changes in the mastering. And today, like I'll set, somebody will send me a file in the morning. I'll work on it. I'll send it to them in a couple hours and then they'll have notes for me in a couple hours. So a lot of times too, they want me to stop what I'm doing, go back, make a tweak and then resend it. So I've worked on songs where I've made four, four, you know, recalls yeah. in a day on a song because of the, the ability of sending stuff you know over, over that's fascinating so i guess my fo my follow-up question which you've already answered is like you know what are your thoughts on you know analog versus digital and the fact that you've moved over majority digitals actually speaks to that answer that's fascinating man so analog i have a soft spot for analog because i came sure. up in the analog world you know pre-digital and when the digital stuff first came out it was horrible <laughs> like it was just absolutely horrible it, it distorted really easy um, a lot of stuff you really couldn't hear the way you could hear it on an analog system and it just it wasn't right but everything has like a like a growing period and now digital like has gone through like you know a few decades of you know refinement and a lot of it too is you know it's modeling at famous pieces of analog gear so they're putting the stuff that's in the analog gear in a digital realm now. So it sounds just as good or good, or it's just like a new tool. Like, you know, like in the beginning animation was not that great. Like if you go back to like, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons compared to like Pixar stuff. Now it's night yeah. and day. Even if you've watched the Simpsons from the beginning to now, like it's actually changed over time and it's better, you know, it's, it's just, it's better looking visually. And that's kind of the way audio equipment has gone is in the beginning, it was kind of like it was what it was. And now it's more detailed. It's easier to use. You can, you can get different sounds out of it much easier. That is fascinating actually. So are you, what are you mixing in then or, or mastering in what program do you? I use, I use a, uh, my DAW is called Sequoia. Okay. And basically here we, either use sequoia or pyramix and it's a personal preference thing just you know a couple guys here use pyramix i use sequoia um i just like sequoia came out before before pyramix so you know i was using it and i i didn't feel a need to switch to uh -huh. pyramix so i just continue using it and the plugins that i use all work with it so really what kind well. of plugins are you using what like what kind of brands if you're able to talk on that 
Oh, sure. I mean, I use isotope. I use all the stuff. Like, there's no secret in, like, what the popular stuff is. You know, fab filter, isotope. You know, they're all, there's, there's, there are a bunch of plugins, too, that, like, I've had for maybe, I used it for two years, and then I stopped using it, and then I had my IT, I just take it out of my computer. You know, things come and go, you know, the UAD stuff is really good. It's really something that, you know, like I like the isotope stuff and the fab filter stuff because I can use it every day and it's, there's nothing new to me where, yeah. you know, like as, as isotope changed, you know, from when it came out to isotope nine now, ozone nine, like, um, you know, there's some things in nine I don't like that I liked in eight. So some stuff I use eight. Um, one of my assistants still uses um, ozone five on some stuff. You know, it's just funny when I see him doing something, you know, some of his work and I'm like, why are you using that? He's like, there's a sound to it. There's some, there's a, you know, there's a usability to it that I really like. And it's just, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just like, can you use it every day? And does it work for you? And can you be creative with it? So like people always ask me, what's the best? And I'm like, there is no best. It's whatever you can use every day Amen. and be creative. You are blowing my mind with that answer though, because the typical artist is like, oh, I need all this really expensive. I need an SSL outboard gear. You know, like it's all we need. And you're yeah. talking about maybe a $200, $300. The, if you buy the whole package, maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars $2,000. Like we're not talking about right. like these crazy $50,000 gear. It's like gear that like is the, the fat filter. I think if you buy that alone, it's like 200 bucks, maybe. Right. You know, yeah, I mean, I was using something called a stealth limiter for a while. I don't even know if I, it might've been like $99 or something like it, that, you know, and, and it's it was super accessible to people. And you're doing, you're working on these massive Grammy award winning tracks with things that people get, can probably either have already or can have in their studio with not, without breaking the bank. And that's, that's amazing. It's, it's speaking to the accessibility and so often artists think, Oh, I got to break the bank. I got to go spend, you know, the beginning artist that, you know, hasn't released a, this, this is my biggest frustration with artists. It, it's like, I've seen it since I started is you have not released a single single. Like it, it's, you haven't done anything and you go spend five grand on your first acoustic song thinking that, Oh, I need to go to a really good studio or 10 grand, you know, which, which for a starting artist is a ton of money. You know, it's like, I got to go yeah. do this. And then, but like, nobody's going to hear it. You know, that's what like, or it just, it's, it blows my mind. Nobody's going to hear it because you know, you're just starting off. And I don't know, that's my biggest gripe with the music industry is we all think that we need this expensive gear and you've proven that wrong. Of, I think a lot of people associate success with names of people who have, have been successful. And by putting yourself in that loop, you're automatically going to be successful. And it's not, it's absolutely not the way it works. Yeah. You know, like it starts from, if you're an artist, it starts from the song. If you don't have a hit song or a song that you really believe in or a song that is so special, you know, that like the way you sing it or the way you perform it, that makes it a hit. It doesn't matter who mixes it or who produces it or whatever. It has to be special from the gate. And, you know, I wish more people would like would realize that. I mean, I, it's funny. One of the one of my gripes right now is people send me work because I did this record and they mm -hmm. said, I want that vibe. I want you to do that. For years, I had I'd mastered every Rihanna record. And for years, everybody said, I want that Rihanna sound. And I was like, that's her sound. You can't make that sound. You can't because you because you come to me, I can't make it a number one hit. I can <laughs> I can make it sound good, but it's not going to be a Rihanna hit because you've you went to the you know the mixer and the master engineer. It has to do with what you're what you're giving us, and if what you're giving us is not 
you know, a hit, it's not going to matter. It'll sound great, but it's not, you know, the hit part has nothing to do with it. You know, absolutely. And that speaks to the quality of, I mean, that's the beauty of the internet. You see these massive hits that some 15 year old kid created in his bedroom that you can tell sounds like a, you know, a bedroom mix, but it, it, because of the way he performed it, she performed it, the way that it resonates with the culture at the moment, it's an, it's number one on billboard. You know what I mean? And it totally speaks to that. Absolutely. And it, yeah. And you know, what's really funny is, um, last week, Bismarcky, the rapper passed away. And I remember working at the studio as an assistant at the studio where it was mastered and i was like helping set up the session and i put the reel up on the machine and in the middle of the song they changed brands of tape <laughs> they had run out of like ampex and they used bassif tape and i could see that it was a different brand of tape in the splice and i was like that is insane. I've never seen that before. And it was the song Nobody Beats the Biz, which was like a global hit. And the fact that they just switched brands of tape and it had nothing to do, like it was tech technologically, it was horrible what they did. But because the song was actually a hit, it didn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. You know what like, that's what people have to start like realizing is like it starts from the beginning, not during the process like you can help something during the process and you can add things and make it better but like it has to be from the yes, beginning that is so true man i love that that's such a great perspective this is a great question actually from one of the subscribers that i'd love to segue to uh so being that you've worked with a tremendous amount of artists it's actually a two-part question uh so you've worked with a great list of artists some really successful artists are there any artists that you have not worked with yet that you would love to work with is the, for the first part of the question. And typically oh do you like have, or have you ever reached out to an artist saying, Hey, I'd love to do like, I'd love to master this track or the, your next track or anything like that. Sure. So, um, I'm the biggest Radiohead fan and I've never worked with them. And if you're listening, <laughs> Hey, you know what? Hey, maybe... <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, um, Bonnie Vare, Tame mm. Impala, Radiohead, like those are all bands like I listen to. Um, War on Drugs, like they, you know, um, Tame Impala and War on Drugs works with Greg across the hallway. And when th those guys are in, I'm just like, ooh, you know, like I'm looking out my door, like, oh, maybe I'm gonna run to the kitchen while they're. Oh, the so they, they typically you know, come like, to the studio for you. you. Oh, yeah, they come to the studio. Interesting. So artists yeah. don't just send the tracks, they come to the studio and, and sit with you? Oh, yeah, no, we've had like, I mean, interesting. You know, yeah, I can't say who was here last week, but some really, big <laughs> um, you know, what I'm saying like, like we, you know, we've had like, I mean, Lady Gaga has been here. Adele's been here. Um, you know, the Rolling Stones have been here. I find that fascinating. Steven Interesting. Tyler, yeah. I, I assume that they would probably just send them to masters and, and not travel with them because. No, it's no, um, people come in to vibe yeah. and like hear it in the studio and, you know, you know, like say, try this, try that, play this version. And, they, you know, they want to hear sure. the version yeah. play together. An album. Um, yeah. It's nice when people come in. It's cool. Absolutely. You know? It's great. Info. Yeah. Um, now to your next question. So many years ago, this rapper came out with an EP and I was like, man, I really like what this guy's doing. I was like, I'm going to write to work on his album. And it was Drake. And I actually wrote, <laughs> to the label saying like, this kid is going to be big. I really want to work with him. And I did the first two Drake albums off of writing an email to the label. I love that, man. So, that yeah. is wild. 
That's cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's all about connections. Like every interview that I've had on this, you know, in this channel, it's everybody ends up being like connections, and you you just you created the connection yourself. You know, it's yeah. I mean, you know what? Like too. Like I mean, first and foremost, I'm a music fan. Like sure. I love. You know what I'm saying? Like. I still listen to music in my free time. Saturday mornings, I get up and I go for a long walk and I put on new music Friday mm. and I listen to like what's, popping, what's new. And I listen to where the songs that I work on actually fall, you know, EQ wise, level wise, like vibe wise. I want to make sure the work that I'm doing that's released on new music Friday stands up to the other stuff on new music Friday. Absolutely. That's, that's yeah. Always improving. Absolutely. So speaking like to, that, what? Sorry. You have to do that. You constantly have to check yourself. You can't like when you sit back and relax, that's the worst thing you can do. A hundred percent. Cockiness kills, man. A hundred percent. So being that you've worked on so many Grammy award winnings or nominated and just massive hits, can you tell when a song comes on, you know, you get sent the song from any artist, you're like, this is going to be a hit or can is it still sometimes surprise you the way the music industry works? So, um, a lot of times, like if I work with like a, a decent artist or like I just, you know, like somebody who's famous or whatever, and they bring me the single, I can say like right away, oh my God, this is going to be massive. This is just amazing. And like, this is going to be big. But I mean, I've worked with people where I'm like, this is the worst record. <laughs> and it goes to number one for like, I can't tell you how long, uh -huh. you know, like, you, like I can't always tell, but I think I, now at this point in my life, I have a pretty good barometer for, for what's going to be a hit. Uh-huh. What, what, what do you typically see as a hit? Like, what are some of those tracks? Uh, not not specific tracks, but what are some of those features on a track? It's just like, um, lyrically, if like I get, if all of a sudden I'm working and I get lost in the lyrics and I'm like finding myself like emotionally attached to what they're saying, like for me, that's a dead giveaway. You know, like it could be anybody. Like I remember working on a Halsey record one time, you know, and do I look like a Halsey fan? No, but like, <laughs> lyrically this one record this song sorry just had me like you know like i was like caught up in it mm -hmm. you know that's so fascinating it, yeah it's just you know like uh, you know as a music fan you still listen to this stuff and you know you you know if it um, if it hits you emotionally that's like a good sign you know 100 percent. and being that you've worked as you've career your career has gone i'm curious have you how how have you, if you have, uh, dealt with the increased pressure of like, okay, I know I'm working on a Halsey track. I know this is going on the radio. Is there an increased level of pressure, you know, that you feel because it's such a big artist rather than something that might not be heard because it's some indie artist or, and how did, if so, how did you deal with that? No, I mean, I always feel pressure working with like big artists because I want to make them happy. You know, this is a service industry and they're coming mm. to me to do a service that there is no like, there's no room for error. There's no like, oh, maybe I had a bad day. Like you really have to focus on what you're doing and try and give them the best record. And if, you know, if I work with somebody, you know, like a big mixer, like I'll just say Serban or Manny or Tony Maserati or Josh Goodwin, any of those guys, like I know the mix is going to be really good. And if I work with like somebody I've never heard of that's getting their first chance to work with a big artist, I'm worried about what they're going to tell me in it with feedback. And if the I've worked with big artists where the record just didn't sound good for, mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with the mixer It had to do with the production and the artist's new direction and things like that. And, you know, you get worried that like, man, this isn't like what I was expecting, you know, or, 
you know, like it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. And I, I really need to like put something extra into this to get it to sound good. <laughs> no, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the pressure never goes away. With <laughs> How do you manage it though? You just kind of push through it. Is there anything you tell yeah, yourself? I mean, yeah. I mean, I've worked with Madonna a bunch of times and she's come in and it's like, it's Madonna, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> there is no, like you never get old, you know, like there's artists that come in here and there's never a point where you're like, Oh, whatever, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. you know so-and-so yeah. or whatever it's like they're big artists they're like international artists that have sold millions and millions of records and there are people standing outside in the street waiting for them to come outside and you're kind of like damn you know like yeah you know have you ever sat and thought about like you know you're just sitting in your recliner thinking about the fact that you're the tracks that you've worked on probably have been heard billions of times at this point between all the different hits you've had you ever think about uh, that number <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, right now, like I did Dua Lipa's last album, and you know, like, yeah, of course, it just keeps, it just keeps setting records on like <laughs> and like stuff like that. Every time I, my my wife, I get in my wife's car, that song is on. Every time, like one of the songs from that album, it's typically the one with the baby on it, and it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. it's like every time, like it's like, so I, I, I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I had somebody in here a couple weeks ago, and they're like, play me some music, like let me hear this, you know, the setup. And I played Dua Leap and I was kind of like, damn, that really sounds good. I forgot how good, you know, like, it's been a while since I worked on the record, but yeah. all of a sudden I was like, damn, that's really good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's so funny. Man. And that's the beauty of being an artist yourself. Like, uh, you know, sometimes you go back on some tracks that you've worked on a long time ago. And I find that with my music myself too. I'm like, oh snap, that, like this was good. I forgot how yeah. good, I'm, so, I'm proud of this. You know what I mean? Oh, like, totally. and you just forget totally. about it. Cause like whether you get so caught up in the mix or you just start working on other things, it's like, yo, this is, this is a bop, man. This is a bop. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, cool. it's kind of nice when you're like out somewhere and you know, you hear a record that you worked on and it's just like, it's everybody in the room is like, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> good. Good, I mean, yeah. and you work on so much though. You don't have to go too far. You can go to JC Penney's or, or a restaurant and you could hear any track that you worked on, man. I, I was that just, I was actually on the really. phone with a client today and I was kind of talking him off a ledge about like level and things like that. And what was funny was about a month ago, I don't, I don't remember where I was, but I was in a store and I heard this, this song playing and I shazammed it and I was like, oh man, I did that song. And I was like, wow, I really like the way this song, like in the store, it sounded really good. And I was like, that's, that's a, crazy. Such a good song. And then I just told him that today and he was like, okay, that made me feel really good. And I was like, it's the truth though. Like it sounded really good, you know, and it was playing on, you know, at a ceiling speakers. Yeah, man. That's so funny. I love that. It's wild. That's got such a cool feeling. Um, so now that you've been in the industry, you said almost coming on 40 years, 30 something years, I think you said, uh, and 21 years with Sterling. What is some advice that, you know, two part question again, uh, what is some advice that you would love to tell your specific self, you know, that if you were starting off and what is some advice that you'd like to tell a newer artist starting off, you know, whether it be in the industry in general or whether it be specific to mastering in your specific uh, subset? Um, what would I tell myself? I mean, there were times during during my career, I thought about getting out, you know, there were some lows in my career work-wise and like, just, I made transitions from one studio to another. And, you know, I hadn't had a hit record in a while and I, and I thought about getting out and, you know, I'm just glad I never got out. I'm glad I just stuck with it and I sucked it up and I, and I remained strong about my beliefs about what I could do and, and, you know, what I wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, I would have definitely told myself, stay with it, you know, like 
if it's your passion mm. live your passion man don't like like selling out or giving in you know, like i tell ki- the young kids when they come in here like i no parent wants their kid to be in the music business and <laughs> I'm a, i have three kids and i have one son in the music business and you know when he said he wanted to do it when he was 12 he started playing guitar and he never put it down and he's mm. 23 now mm-hmm. and he plays every instrument he's a producer a mixer an artist he does all this stuff and at no point during that did I ever tell him to think about something else. You know, I never told him to change his mind or try something else or, you know, look for a second job. And he's, you know, he lives in LA now. He's, you know, he's going through it. You know, there's high points and low points. And I just keep offering him advice, like to stay with it, you know, maybe go to another, try and get a job at another studio, look for new artists, look for new people to work with. Just keep doing that, but don't give up because I believe in him as you know a mixer and a producer and an artist you know he's really good and i'm not just saying that because he's my son but i don't want to like i want him to believe in himself and to like follow through with his dream absolutely and it's so fascinating man i i completely second what you're saying i mean obviously you have a ton more experience than i do but i i even on a smaller scale i completely relate to what you're saying in the sense of like there were plenty of times i wanted to you know give up my my career and like i didn't see any fruit or any real movement in my career you know for i mean i dropped out of college seven years ago to do music full-time and like it was like seven years of pretty much nothing and you know like i tell this story all the time from the day that i dropped out of college and now i think about it like you know one day the goal obviously is to win a grammy kind of thing and it's like you know that grammy speech i need to thank my wife more than anything else for sticking with me through all these crazy things because it's like of course i had the 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 the, the balls to do it but like she didn't sign up for that you know what i mean like no at this point i'd even thank my i'd thank my ex-wife at this point for for never backing out of like my beliefs and whatever when we were married but like you know like it's just it's one of these things like it's so hard to like, like really get into this business and then to maintain it and do it. I've had like, I've had friends that like still ask me when they see me, like, are you still doing the music thing? I'm like, <laughs> the music thing? Like, oh my gosh. Still doing the music thing. <laughs> still doing it. Yeah. You know? And then like who you work with, like Dua Lipa. Really? Like they look at me like I'm not cool enough to work with Dua Lipa or, you know, Harry Styles or, you know, Lady Gaga. It's like, yeah, they actually hire me to do their, you know, like. People have no concept like, of the offensiveness that they put off when they say stuff. I know. It's that, so funny, man. Here's something funny. The first time I was nominated for a Grammy, I told my parents and they're like, really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. I have the number one record in the world. Oh my and, gosh. And they were like, Oh, okay. Whatever that means. You know, I was oh like, Oh my gosh. That's the worst too. When nobody has a concept of what you're actually like the, the, the gravity of what you're talking about too. That's the worst too. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I just, I like, I, I struggle that stuff off now. Like I don't even, yeah, care. of course, oh. of course it comes with time. Absolutely. So being that, that, you know, and I want to wrap this up because I, I know you're a busy guy. So first of all, I want to say thank you. Um, but mentioning what you said, like, really fascinating thing is like you said about the, the pressure of, you know, going from hit to hit, you know, you, you said you had a period, you have laws where you don't create a hit, you know, or you don't work on a hit. And that is an interesting pressure that most people don't, you know, it's a luxurious pressure to have, but <laughs> it is an added pressure that a lot of people have to experience, you know, especially artists, you know, in whatever industry, actually mixing artists or actual, you know, performing artists or mastering. It's like you, you come off of this hit 
and then like it's like trying to reproduce something that goes to a similar level is a scary task you know so something funny about like what i do is like years ago one of my business partners and i were like let's like go global like let's get into other markets let's go visit other countries let's let's you know go try and get projects from all over the world and we had been doing a lot of work in japan and then we're kind of like you know china's kind of like open now let's go there and i'd been to china a couple years ago in korea and you know i work with bts now and i do all this stuff but when you know you go into these other markets like for for korea bts twice a couple other bands are like the pinnacle of you know k-pop but a lot of work that i do day to day is like i work on chinese music that nobody knows about or hears and i have to put the same energy into mm. it day after day and nobody's ever going to hear of these records so like i'll go through weeks of work that i'm working on stuff it's never going to chart in the u.s i'm not really going to get any you know big fame from it but i'm working on it because it pays the bills it keeps the lights on like it keeps my career going globally you know like so i'm not i used to be worried about like just the work in the u.s all the big famous u.s artists or british artists that like kind of give mm -hmm. you the the big recognition and now honestly like you know there was a period where i did like a ton of latin music and i was really you know i was making a great living off of latin music and you know of the last maybe five years i'm doing like a lot of chinese and k-pop music and i have no problem with it anymore like i might not be known for like a dua lipa like you know that level here but I'm really, I'm working every day and I'm making, you know, a living off of doing this other stuff. So, you know, it's not always about like the big artist. It's about working every day and doing something you enjoy and paying, paying the bills, you know? Absolutely. Like, so, Absolutely, yeah. man. That's such a great perspective. And I do, I do, I do so much indie work too. Like people are like, do you work with indies? And I'm like, of course I work with indies. Why wouldn't I? You know, you never know. I, I have this big thing about indies is you, there's always going to be a new, you know, there's the next Justin Bieber or Dua Lipa or Lady Gaga, and you're not going to find them at a label all the time. Mm -hmm. They're going to be indie sometimes, and that's how you find them. Mm -hmm. And if you open your your studio up to them or your, your work up to them, mm -hmm. they'll appreciate that and they'll stay with you for years, you know? Yeah. So. Is it the same rate that you charge Dua Lipa that you charge an indie artist? No, it, we, uh, we obviously have, <laughs> we have an indie rate and everything, but, you know, when you become famous, then you pay the bigger. You know? <laughs> hey, that's, a, again, a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, like I, you know, like I, there's so much great indie music out there, too. Like yeah. I've, you know, there's a girl from Florida, Casey Conroy. She wrote this song that still to this day, like six months later, I still think it's one of the best songs I've worked on this year. Wow. And she's just like, you know, she's got a couple songs. She's doing really well. Um, it's really good. There's a girl from London that I've been working with, Sarah Proctor. She's another one. Like, she's just putting out these great songs. And, you know, they're both indies. So That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. The last question I have for you is typically do, the way that Sterling Sound and you, you know, the, the revenue comes in, is it through royalties or is it through upfront payment? It's upfront payment. Yeah, it's just studio. There's – I. Oh my God! If I got royalties, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that so? That's just be a typical... yacht. That'd be like a there'd be a beach in the background. Okay. Yeah, for we'd be streaming you know, from your yacht a right now. Lamborghinis in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we work stri strictly. You know, it's a one-time payment, or mm -hmm. you know, it's an hourly rate payment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, is that industry is not... standard? 
yeah there's in mastering it's not really like you're not like you're not really changing the the course of the record that much you know what i'm saying like that it kind of ends i mean i know some mixers that get you know a point on a project because of the their level of mixing and there's definitely more creativity in mixing than mastering but yeah Mm -hmm. it's pretty much just like a you know an hourly rate or a, a package rate or something like that that's fascinating if you work a lot it adds up so you know sure I hear you, man. And as you add names to that that, that list, you can start charging the premium. So it's yeah. amazing, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. So thank you very much. Oh, great questions. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you could just hang out two seconds, I just want to wrap this up. But thank you guys so much for watching. I really you know, appreciate you guys making it to the end. I want to say thank you to Chris and his taking the time out of his day. And if you guys want to check out the rest of the stuff on the channel, there's plenty of stuff. I'll probably have other great interviews. Definitely go check out Chris's extensive list of artists that he's worked with. You're going to be blown away. Your socks going to be in another room from how far they've been knocked off. <laughs> and definitely go check out Sterling Sound and also Chris's Instagrams with both of the link down below. If you want to check out my music, it's the best way to support the channel. And I'll see you guys in the next video. Have a great day. God bless and peace out. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. If you want to see the video version of any of these episodes, you can check them out on YouTube. Uh, It'll be a Jacob Restituto, the Tudo Talks series. Uh, Hope you enjoy this. And also, if you want to see clips or anything like, you know, your favorite clip of it, you can see it on TikTok or on Instagram, everywhere. Uh, But best way to get in touch with me if you want to say what's up or have any questions or want to follow up is by texting me two different numbers. You could text me at 631-250-6950 if you're in the U.S. Or WhatsApp is 1-833-575-0948. You rock. Thank you for being a part of Team Tuto. God bless and peace out.